Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. I'm talking about comic books specifically. This is the only podcast hosted by two brothers, two older white men discussing things they grew up loving. And that thing they grew up loving is comic books. I'm one of your co-hosts, Kevin Hines. I'm your other co-host, Will Hines. Uh, Here's some salient details about us. We're hilarious. Mm -hmm. We are semi-professional comedians. Um, mm-hmm. super professional improv teachers and, mm-hmm. um, that's it. Those are the only salient details I can think you'll need to know. Yeah. Yeah. We're both, um, average-ish height. Uh, Kevin's both straight balding. up, you're straight up tall. I don't, I don't, I think six feet is the upper end of average. Uh, okay. Gosh. And you're the bottom end of average at three foot six. <laughs> got a beard <laughs> does that count yeah i got back hair this season we are going over uh, a comic book called the sandman we're doing a smattering of sandman just sort of a sampling of issues from across its 75 issue run talking about the horror slash fantasy comic series from dc slash vertigo comics inhale uh we are deep into the season at this point will yeah, we've got this and then two more episodes left. Probably, yeah. Probably. Um, you, you've added another one to the to yep. the list already. But mm-hmm. um, last week we covered issue 54. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a guest on, Casey, uh, Casey who's Bruce. a fan of Mike Allred, who discussed that with us. Yeah. And today we're picking, we're covering the issue you picked from uh, World's End. Ceremonies. That's issue 55, yeah. Ceremonies. So it's kind of, for Casey Bruce from Danger Room Comics in Olympia, Washington, about this issue, it's weird that I'm, so he did one from World's End. You know, by all rights, I should have just skipped my issue because we really haven't ever done two issues from one Mm -hmm. arc. But you know what? Who cares? No one's paying for this. There's no ads. We can break the rules and we see, we're not like Sandman. We're not diligent to our responsibilities. We break rules left and right. Most people say World's End is the most important (laughs) Volume. I know it's also like not <laughs> crucial to the larger. I mean, it's really good, but it's not like doing two from Doll's House or Kindly well, yeah. Ones or something. Well, the, the way this worked is we picked the issues you wanted to cover. That's right. And then we Casey we asked Casey to be on, and we said pick another issue. He happened to pick one right before an issue we were covering, which is totally cool. Totally fine, yeah. Uh, a very different issue from and, anything we've covered, so it was very just like uh, good improvisers. We did not adjust our preconceived choice to match. <laughs> The new yeah, that's choice. right. Um, so we're still covering this issue. Yeah. Well, I love this issue, so I'm glad we're doing it. Uh, it's issue 55, Ceremonies in the World's End Arc. Yeah, I can't. It's probably the most confusing. Uh, yes, the p- most confusing one we will go over, I think. Yeah, this is drawn by uh, Shay Anton Pensa uh, with inks by Vince Locke. Uh, uh, and just like the previous issue, it's got a framing sequence by Brian Talbot and Mark Buckingham. And uh, we wanted to say right here, next episode, we will be going over issue 69 from The Kindly Ones. So if you're reading yeah. along and you want to read ahead, the next episode will be issue 69 from The Kindly Ones. We did not say that in in advance, but that's what it's going to yeah, be. I think we referred to a, a, an issue TBD from The Kindly Ones. Now it's now it is uh, had has been deed. 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 And as the kids say, this thing has been deed uh, yeah. real hard. We deed it hard. No, did you guys hear? The Kindly Ones issue has been deed. <laughs> um, no longer yeah, TBD. So 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So that'll be that'll be next week. We'll cover that issue of the kindly ones, and then we're going to cover one more from the week. Yep. Which that is TBD. <laughs> that's, it, that's TBD. That's TBD. Oh, can't wait to can't wait to D that. It'll be D'd by next week, by next mm-hmm. episode. That's right. But it's TBD at this moment. Um, Kevin, what did you think of this uh, issue? It's good. I think you had mentioned that this one had a very um, stories within stories feel yeah, to that's it. That's why I, I like believe it. you had mentioned, uh, which uh, just makes me think of uh, Arabian Nights, the 1001 Tales of Sherazade uh, uh, book where she's telling stories uh, to stay alive. Do you know this? Uh, I know the fables version. <laughs> well, the thousand and one Arabian Nights of the, the the book. I've read a, a version of this book. Uh, I think there's billions of versions of it. I read the popular one that they sold at Walden Books. Because mm-hmm. um, you're a man of the Sherazad. people. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sherazad is imprisoned by a, a sultan or something, and he's going to kill her. He kills. Uh, um, Every wife he's ever had the night after he marries them or something. Yeah. But they're like trying to break this curse. It's something like that. But to keep uh, him from uh, killing her, he she tells stories. So every night she tells a story. And then by the time the story is done, he's tired and he goes to sleep. And so like every night she has to come up with a new story. <laughs> and some of the stories involve people telling stories. Yeah. And he kind of can, some of the stories can go in deep. And that's where like Alibaba and the 40 Thieves and Aladdin and this genie lamp. Yeah. All that stuff is in there. Uh, okay. I know the Fables version, which I think is by Mark Buckingham also. Drawn by Mark Buckingham, probably. Yeah. I think written by. Uh, well, if it's Fables, wouldn't it be written by the guy who wrote Bill Willingham? Oh, yeah. Bill Willingham. That's who it is. Who wrote the whole series? I, that's, I, Mark Buckingham probably has nothing to do with it. Never mind. Bill well, Mark Buckingham drew, I would say, two thirds of Fables. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And Bill Willingham also draws, confusingly. Yes. Uh, not as good. Mark Buckingham is great. No, 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 no offense to Bill William. I think he would no, say the same thing. No, it's shit all over him. Let's like rip him um, apart. But Mark he, Buckingham he's, is He's great. known more as a writer than an artist. Yeah, though I think in one of the issues of Fables, Mark Buckingham did write a story that Bill Willingham drew. Uh, drew. It's rad. Just says for like fun. Well, they do one where Snow White has been like captured by somebody and she has to tell stories to stay alive. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I guess, you know, uh, homage to... Yeah, I mean, and they also cross over with some of the characters from Arabian Nights. Yeah. Uh, fables is one of those types of books. Fables is a great series. You should read it. Everyone, Everyone. should read it. Not the actual fables, but the comic book adaptation of fables. Um, it's like Once Upon a Time, uh, the ABC moderately successful show. But better. But comic book. Yeah. I think better, yeah. But I, I say that without ever having watched Once Upon a Time. Me either. I just always like to say that comic book's better. Yeah, so this is a real stories within stories one, and that that's kind of why I picked it. It really, I mean, I think it's really good also, but uh, I mm-hmm. kind of enjoy the <laughs> confusingness of it, so. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed it. Um, uh, the world is very strange that all these stories take place in. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we'll get into that. It's It's... It makes me laugh a little bit. It's sort of silly in some sort of very deadpan way. It's also interesting, both this and last issue, The Golden Boy, I forget that it's a Sandman book. Yeah, Sandman, the character is barely involved. Um, And like both times when the endless show up, I'm like, oh, right. Yeah. At first I'm like, oh, neat. They brought them in. I'm like, well, of course they brought them in. It's their book. Yeah. Like the last issue, like death shows up first and then Sandman shows up briefly after that. And I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, look at that. An endless. Yeah. In this non-endless story. Oops. Um, and then this one, the same thing. Like there, it's even subtler and this more subtle in this one. Yeah. I don't know if subtler is a word. I think it is. Uh, 
but more subtle sounds right. I'll, I'll so, register it as a word before this gets released. Oh, good, because we'll get emails for sure. I will. I'm the um, one who's being yelled at for being too fussy about words. Uh, trust yeah. me, I'm nonplussed about it, I think. <laughs> uh, I forget what I said wrong. I said one wrong, too, at some point. Yeah, you um, did. But it, it didn't have the impact. I it let, I let it roll off me. Uh, but anyway, I, these stories are really good. But it, it almost feels like, oh, why are you bringing the endless into this? I don't know. It yeah, you almost don't need me. Them. It throws me. Um, though it is also cool in in, a, in, a, in another way. I don't anyway. know. Neil Gaiman has some real chops as a writer. Like he doesn't need his main character. He doesn't need fight scenes. <laughs> there you scenes. go. Yeah. Hines said it was a big overstatement. Yeah, I'll say I'll say a lot of crazy things. Neil Gaiman has. Writer's chops. Mm -hmm. The Beatles, their melodies are catchy. I'll say it. Whoa. Steven Spielberg has been commercially successful at times. Yeah. Michelangelo, probably going to... Influential. Uh, yeah, some people are going to care yeah. about his stuff. Antarctica, cold. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, just to refresh y'all, let's get into it. So this is... Yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. The World's End arc, like we said last episode, is a, the framing story is two humans from our world... We're driving. Can I, wait, can I interrupt you with a total of waste of time? Yeah, why not? Um, uh, every time you, every time we get to a point, where we're like, "Well, let's get started." I always think of that Steve Martin joke: uh, "Let's not waste any more time." That's always what jumps in my mind. Yeah, and then he, like, and then he like tunes his banjo for like three minutes. Tune. It looks at his nails, whistles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, that's what I think about when you tell me that we should get started. I'm like, oh, I agree. And in my mind, I'm like, so we shouldn't, right? Something that is very instrumental to our childhood is the Steve Martin stand-up special, um, I think A Night with Steve. It played on yeah. Showtime a million times when we were kids. And then it kind of like wasn't easily available. And then it was released as part of the Steve Martin like DVD comedy set like five years ago or right. something. But We had a VHS tape of it as well, but we it took us forever to find that. Yeah. And, um, but to me, it's like one of the books of the Bible. Like I watched it so much yeah. and it's, and Steve Martin is so huge still. It's strange to me that people haven't seen that. Cause that to me is the foundation of Steve Martin. It's like, I almost think I wouldn't care about him if I didn't know that like stand up special. Yeah. He I mean, he certainly hasn't done anything in ages to make you, uh, make him as famous as he is. Yeah. Uh, his he, name he's was coasting. Set. He's coasting. It's not any day now. It's gonna, you know, collapse around. I him. mean, at a certain point, it never goes away. But um, yeah, it started there, or peaked, or it started the, the climax. Started there, yeah, and continued through the jerk I mean, and a few other. Th movies. There's just a lot of Steve Martin fans who were like, "Oh, I've never seen this thing," and it's like that's that's so strange. It's like, yeah. "Oh, I love Jim Carrey. I've never seen The Mask." It's like, well, I'm not even saying The Mask is the end all be all, but that's weird if you're a Jim Carrey fan and you've never seen one of the big things in his like career yeah. or whatever. I've never seen the mask pet detective, uh, or living color, yeah. but I love Jim Carrey. It's like, why? How did that happen? <laughs> Just a big fan of, uh, yeah. uh, dumb and dumber. Uh, that was the one I left out. <laughs> I was trying to think of what's the one reason a TV show. Truman show. Truman show. Yeah. Can, I, just, I was thinking Ed TV, the, uh, <laughs> Woody Harrelson or no, um, Matthew McConaughey. McConaughey. Yeah. One of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, uh, you saying let's not waste any more time made me think about a joke about wasting time, and then we wasted time. So let's now get into the comic. Yes, yeah, so let's not waste any more time. So what's the what's what's going on in World's, World's End? World's End is uh, two framework. people two people from our 
reality. We're driving across country at night in a snowstorm, and they entered a reality storm, which means they left our reality and went to a little nexus of realities, and mm-hmm. they and they found an inn where they went in, and there's people from all kinds of realities who have been caught in the storm, and everybody's waiting in the inn, just basically waiting out the storm. And to pass time, they each uh, take turns telling stories. And so each issue of the World's End arc is one of the people sitting around a table with our protagonists telling a story. And everybody else seems like they've been here before. They're regulars to some extent. Yeah, they're not like thrown off. They're like, oh, yeah, reality storm. You got to hang out at the end for a while. Then we'll go back. Uh, the main character is a little more thrown, though relatively nonplussed by everything that's going on. <laughs> like our human protagonist? Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's he, he he recognizes that this is weird and strange, but he's not like screaming in horror at like the the monsters and creatures that are running around. He adjusts pretty fast. Like the first thing he sees, I flipped through the first issue as is a as a centaur. Right. And he doesn't go, "Oh my god, a centaur." Yeah. Uh, it, I think it is that, well, first of all, it's that very British kind of humor that Neil Gaiman has, which is yeah. just like, well, that's quite odd. That sort of yeah. reserved reactions. But it's also just like, if everybody around you is acting normal, yeah, you might act normal. If I you, also just write it off as like the magic of the place. Sure. Like uh, uh, curbs that sort of freak out. Yeah. Um, there's also no- and it's It's dreamlike, right? In dreams, you sort of accept this stuff. Right. Um, there's also nobody totally gross looking, you know what I mean? There's no like blob with eyes that's, you know, waddling up to the table with a mug of beer. They're all like, I don't know. Look at this first page. Well, of this last panel. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. There's a lot of like little frog troll creatures that look like they maybe are in the claw machine of toy story. Yeah. Just looking around. Holding little wine glasses. (laughs) That's pretty great. That's pretty crazy. And like the main guy who's telling the story, his boss is like a undead zombie creature. Yeah, they're pretty freaky. I'm just saying I'd be nervous. Not me. Okay. Um, so um, that's the framing device. This particular mm. issue, we learn the story uh, of a guy named Petrifa- Petrifax who is a like skeleton looking zombie who is an apprentice from the a city called Necropolis where everybody there is basically like an expert funeral parlor operator. Um, a city yes. where everybody is trained from the get go to be good at burials. That's like the point of the whole city. Yeah. And, um, um. Petrifax is one of them, and he's going to tell a story that uh, takes place in Necropolis. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a weird story from page one, mm-hmm. um, and I and I a little easier to swallow. I read a lot of fantasy novels that sort of sometimes jump in on the deep end, where it's just like dropping words and and phrases and concepts as if they are known quantities. Yeah, like let's get and some sort of myth- yeah. mithril armor, dear Aragorn, before we head off to Rohan, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, because it digs, it goes in deep, like, like the first page, like from the window of my school, one can see the whole of Western litharge. And it's like, yeah, you're saying that like, I know what that means. Right. I would stare out at the necropolis on the hot summer afternoons and wonder about the world beyond the mountains. I would daydream of other places, other people, other worlds. Um, yeah. 
Uh, he says at the necropolis. Maybe his city is not called necropolis. Maybe his city is called Litharge. I don't know. He's from a city where everyone is in charge of learning how to do burials, and everyone looks like a right. skeleton, basically. And he is taking a class. Not a skeleton. They all look like sort of pale zombies. Yes, go ahead, Kevin. I'm sorry. He's taking a class, and today's lesson is about the five approved methods of bodily disposal. British authors love to write about like strict schoolmasters and sort of like it is just I feel like every other Monty Python sketch was like a headmaster yelling at students every like um Rowan Atkinson Rowan Atkinson would be like a headmaster you know what I mean Hitchhiker's Guide it's just like all right everyone up here up here today we're gonna learn how to stab someone in the belly that's right here's the knife here's the pay attention now like I feel like that is a trope of like British pop culture well, it's here, and yeah, just and I like love it. Will's, Will's uh, off-the-cuff example, he is learning sort of a very morbid lesson. Yeah. And so, like, the second page of the story, not the second page of the issue, he, like, lists in sort of detail the different ways you can dispose of bodies. Uh, firstly, earth burial or interment. Variants are boxed, wrapped or naked, embalmed or otherwise, lying, seated or standing, graves, uh, sepul- sepulture. How do you say that word? Uh, I think that's right. Uh, vault or cairn. Carn. <laughs> Secondly, disposal through fire. Variants, clothed, boxed, pyre, vessel or ship. Also, there are different procedures that can be adopted to dispose of the ashes. Thirdly, mummification. Variants, salting, mineral baths, dehydration. There's a thing with pitch and butamin and... Yes, yes. The fourth. Fourth. Uh, fourthly. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, fourthly, disposal through water. Variants include feeding to water animals or fish, disposal in sacred rivers or sea, boxing, bagging with rocks, dismemberment. Then he can't remember the fifth. He's stammering. The teacher is glaring at him. He looks outside and sees a bird. And he remembers air burial, sir. Variants include dismemberment and otherwise, ingestion by raptors or scavengers, complete or partial disposal. And he's very satisfied. And the teacher is satisfied. Yeah, there's moments during this like where he doesn't remember the fifth and the teacher's like grinning at him and not knowing the world yet. I'm like, oh, does he die if he gets this wrong? It seems like the sort of like a monster school of some sort. And at this point, it seems he's definitely taking a class in how to dispose of bodies, but I don't necessarily know it's the whole city of disposing of bodies. So uh, it's very unnerving, the whole thing. Um, so the, the story... Uh properly begins when Petrifax is told by his teacher, Master Klaproth, who's also in the world's end with him, um, that he has to go witness a burial in some part of town as part of his apprenticeship, and it starts in an hour. And so he races across town to get there, uh, and they and he's with a bunch of other residents of his town, and they are uh, mid-burial. Yeah, I mean, th- then the burial starts, they like, cut this guy's neck they slit open his stomach they pull out his intestines and feed them to birds it's gross yep and it's all being done very properly with like established protocols uh it's got that that sandman or neil gaiman kind of just like fun with specifics and detail and grossness you know what i mean it's not it's not just your garden variety leave a body out to be fed on by birds it's like two pages of cutting this body but there's a lot of cutting bodies up in salmon we had one in um game of you yeah um, with george's face getting cut off uh there's a guy like with like a meat grinder like you'd see at a butcher shop just grinding up parts of the body again feeding them it's all getting fed to vultures and and other scavenger birds um 
And so uh, at some point, Petrifax has the option of leaving, but he decides to stay for the end. Um, and yeah, they, they eat sandwiches um, and Petrifax is like, oh, shouldn't we wash our hands? And he's told that would be disrespectful to the client. Anyway, his remnants are said to add savor to the food. That is the custom of the place from which the client hails. And uh, Petrifax doubts that. You're not pulling my leg like when I first prenticed to Master Kalproth and the others sent me off to find a left-handed coffin. Uh, but he eats it, and at some point he goes, It's true, this food does taste better. It shouldn't, but it does. This tastes really good. Why is that? And so part of this, I know, it's very gross and funny. So part yeah. of this ritual is they've just buried, oh, they call him the client. It's almost like everybody who dies is their client. They have to serve. Yeah. And... um Part of the ritual is now that the burial's done, part of just their ritual as like burial people is to sit around a fire and tell stories. Yeah. So we're already a story within a story here. Right. And now we're going to go another level deep. As and, and to jump way ahead, I think the next issue reveals all this entire arc has been a story. Yeah, that's right. That he is telling at a bar. That's right. The The main protagonist is telling it in a bar in the future. So, yes, that's yeah. right. So we're, but not, we're, not we're, counting that level. Let's just count the levels that exist within this issue. Yeah, that's so right. So there's World's End as the top level, the World's End Inn. Yeah. Now we're into Petrifax's story, second level. And now around the fire in Petrifax's story, we're going through, I'm counting like Inception levels. Yeah. So now we're a third level, but there's sort of several. That's the, that's the van going off the bridge. I don't remember the inception level. I know that's one of them. Um, somebody tells yeah, so a story about a hangman, uh, about right. a guy. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so this story, let's tell this. What's this story? Well, the hangman story. This is a pretty short story uh, being told by one of the cutting the open, cut open the body people. Um, he tells a story of a man who was supposed to be hung, but there was nobody equipped to run the hangman's gallows. And so he was allowed to be a hangman's gallows and hang everybody else. Um, and then as soon yeah. as there was nobody else to be hung, he would be killed. Well, I think when he, before he dies, he needs to get hung. That's his, his death has to be by hanging. His sentence um, has to yeah. happen at some point. But so he lives his whole life just hanging everybody else, hoping to put it off as long as possible. Uh, and then I sort of, he sort of tricks his way into not being hung. He gets very sick at some point and they're like, oh, you're, they're going to hang you so you don't die by your illness. And he's got a family and he just wants to die at home. And some, his, some friends help him weekends at Bernie's it by propping him up with a rope when, the, with, when they come with by. With a hangman's noose. With a hangman's noose. And... Um, so that he looks healthy and uh, the city officials leave him be and then he dies at home. So he cheated his sentence. Yeah. A happy ending for that man who died. Yep. Um, and then uh, Hermes, uh, Hermes tells the next story. What is this one? That's right. And his story involves lots of little stories almost to begin with, right? Yeah, he makes reference to lots his. of little things that have happened to him in his time. Yeah. But uh, his main story has to do with destruction. Yes. 
who I didn't recognize immediately. It took me a bit to realize that was destruction, even though I just had read him uh, a in, couple episodes ago in, in our timeline. In Brief Lives, yeah. Um, yeah. So that he was like hanging out and destruction came sitting by and and uh, talking to him. And um, and destruction just hangs out with Hermes, one of the uh, cut, cut open the body people. And... Um, and basically, destruction says that this city that Hermes is in, the city of burial rites, is not the first one. There's been older ones that were not good at their job and got wasted away, because yeah. destruction is an endless, and he's been around since the beginning of the universe. It it seems like Litharge is the name of this place, but it, this place is a necropolis, so okay. it's the necropolis Litharge because uh, okay. uh, this character Hermes says that. To which destruction says, "This isn't the first necropolis, you know." And he tells the story of the death of uh, despair. Okay. Um, I didn't know who it was that had died. I was trying to figure that yeah, out. Despair. The despair that we know is the second despair. And so um, Destruction remembers that when he was a member of the Endless, they showed up at an older necropolis looking for the burial rites for their sister Despair. And the people there didn't know about it. And so Destiny declared them unfit and had that had the whole city destroyed. Right. And and that's when I realized this had been destruction because uh, you get to this page where um, uh, the Endless show up. But you see them from behind at first. So yeah. it's just... Uh, uh, you can't really make out who everybody is for sure. Though Will knew right away. Um, and they were like, our sister is dead. They said, where's the body? Where's the offering? And I was like, oh, wait, this is the endless. I like had forgotten. I I think I didn't recognize destruction because I wasn't even thinking about what comic book I was reading. And then I flipped back. I was like, oh, yeah, this was destruction telling the story. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so that was how Necropolis Litharge got its name. Now we rise up out of this level back to level two, the body cutting people around the fire. And now the, the headmaster of this ritual is going to tell his story. And this is the main story of this issue. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think the whole thing, I think the, the framing is the main, I think of that as the main story. Uh, I guess you're right. Just because this is only a few pages. Somehow like, this... It is the longest of the stories within the stories within the story. But That's true. Okay. There's definitely an argument for what you're saying. But um, whatever its importance is, we come to it. Yes. And so... I mean, it's definitely what connects this to Sandman. Right. Although I guess that last one with the destruction attached to it. Oh, whatever. Right. Okay. So... The, this guy, the master of the body cutting open ritual, sitting around the fire, tells a story of when he was a kid and he had a teacher uh, who was very strict named Mistress Veltus and who would like uh, yell at them and and then she starts, uh, yeah, and he remembers when he was a kid being scolded by her for not doing his duties right and then she tells him a story. And and she has like a withered hand. It looks almost like a ghost hand. Yeah, that's like a, like faintly drawn, right? Um, and thinner, so she can't work with her right hand. She has to do everything with her left hand. Uh, and she's, uh, uh, why does she start telling this story? Uh, at, uh, there was the. Uh, there was a storm and the kids like kind of like at Hogwarts, whatever the Hogwarts of Litharge is, couldn't sleep. 
And she, as like the Professor uh, yes. McGonagall, came in to like soothe them by telling them stories. <laughs> right. uh, Harry Potter would have been a different book if it was all about burial rites. <laughs> um, just saying, those British authors, they love their school metaphor framing devices. So in comes Mistress Veltus. Okay, so we're, we're, how, how many levels in are we right now? We're three? And then uh, Mistress... So within... Yeah, we're three, right? World's well, End... This is a story being told at World's End... And this is a story being told to the character who's telling a story. And then in his story, he's being told this woman is telling a story. Yes. So we're, so we had, we went three in for destruction too, right? Right. Cause destruction told the story. Yeah. Yeah. So we're three in mistress. So this is mistress Veltus's story of being young. And she also tells a couple of tales. Yes. But her main story is how she was, when she was a kid learning her burial rites Oh, she talks about World's End. Right. Uh, yes, I noticed that when I was reading that earlier. She mentions, she tells these stories really quickly. A couple, he refers to a bunch of stories that she has told. There was one about a mortician who outwitted a giant and inherited a kingdom thereby. That's one story. Another about a poor gravedigger who dug down to a magical land under the world and brought back a pale bride whose feet never quite touched the ground. That's a story. There's a story about a coach full of apprentices and a master swept away from Litharge by dark magics who took the refuge in a tavern where the price of Haven was a tale, which is world's end, which is weird because is that what happened to, is, is, is that the story of the characters that no, it can't are telling be. this story? It can't be. Why not? Because it would loop around in a weird way. Yeah. And that would make it illogical to you. <laughs> I don't know. It, that is a group of apprentices yes. and their master. Yeah, it's true. I think it is them. I think time doesn't make sense in the world's end. Okay, so she's telling a story of Claprox and Petrifax getting stuck in world's end, even though this is a story within the one told by Claprox and Prentice. That's what I believe. All right, I, I'm with it. So the other story that Mistress Veltus tells is when she was a little girl. Will says that doesn't make sense, despite this being a story about the endless creatures that all start with D's well, you know, and they're and they're visiting a world of burial rites. I accept your mockery, but <laughs> I do like my fantasy stories to have strong internal logic. And then he's playing it fast and loose here. But uh, I mean, it's a reality storm. Yeah, I know. It's just like in a time travel story, though. You need some kind of boundaries or the whole thing just ends. All right. Anyway, okay. so... Mistress Veltus, one of the story. Mistress Veltus, one of the stories she tells, three levels deep in this story of story of stories, is that she breaks some embalming fluid and is worried about getting yelled at and just runs through a bunch of tombs without minding where she's going, and she just ends up in a strange room with um sort of like sort of like it looks like there's a place awaiting bodies, like there's like ser- there's robes being hung up, uh, six of them. And uh, when she gets into and, this, yes. And there's a big book, a tome, like on a, a podium. Yeah, and we uh, realize like, that this is the room with the items meant to bury one of the endless. This is this has got the equipment that you need if you have to bury one of the endless. And uh, this is what Destruction and his family came looking for in his story, and they didn't know about it. Mm-hmm. But in this incarnation of a necropolis, the one called Litharge, they do know about it, and here it is. But Mistress Veltus doesn't, the young Mistress Veltus doesn't know about it, and here she is, and she, and she hears a voice that says to her, which of them is dead? And she's confused and she's scared. No one's dead, not that I know of, just the usual people. 
I broke a flask of preserving fluid. I ran away. Um, a voice in the darkness laughed. This is no place for you, little girl. Let me sleep until I am needed. And then the girl's scared and she goes, but I dare not leave. My master will have the skin off my back. And this is a kind of interesting thing. The strange voice, the voice that's in charge of the burial of the endless takes pity on her, right? Yeah. It's, it's who is this person is <laughs> like another, the gods to the gods in some way, maybe. Yeah. Uh, very well. The flask is mended and filled and your master has not noticed your absence. Now leave this place and I will guide your feet to the world above. And instead of just saying thank you and leaving, she commits one of those like weird sins of old stories where she doubts. How do I know that you're telling the truth? Ah, well, there's a question. Had you had faith and not demanded proof, you would have been wiser. But seeing you need proof that I speak truly, look at your right hand. And the girl Veltus looked at her hand and she looked as it withered and twisted. There's your proof, said the voice. And when the girl wandered back, everything was as said. The flask was mended. Nobody was the wiser. And she was never able to find that room again. Right. Um, and then just before she died, she asked to be taken back to the catacombs for one last hunt. So we're rising out of her story. And this right. is now just the master's story sitting around the fire. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in her and old she age. she goes in. We don't hear what happens to her in there. She's in there for, we waited there for a day and a night. Uh, Kiliproth and I, and in the end we heard a shrill scream and Mistress Veltus stumbled out into the daylight. We carried her back to our digs and sent the messages to the rest of the citizens of Litharge that they were less by one. We laid her out in the parlor and all of Litharge filed by to pay their respects. And if anyone else noticed that her hand was whole again, well, they said nothing. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. And so we're back around the fire and um, our man... Uh, Petrifax says he has no tales, no stories to tell, and just dreams of going places. And they're like, all right, well, that's fine. We get three stories. That's enough. And so they wrap it up, and they uh, and they head back to the city. And that's the end of Petrifax's tale, and so we go back to World's End. Oh, no, something else. Oh, right. Yes, uh, the guy telling the story at World's End. Petrifax. Starts, yeah. Uh, it was six months later before I dared to ask him about the room below the catacombs and the book and the ceremonies. But I only learned more when I was raised from apprentice to journeyman and swore on the Bagulaka that I would tell, hold your tongue. And then uh, the master snaps at him. Yeah, he's about to talk about the burial rites of the endless. Yeah. But uh, Klaproth uh, scolds him. And the way he scolds him is kind of fun. There's like some little ritual of reminding him his honors. Petrifax, you have the key to the city? Yes, master. What is its virtue? To open and shut, to shut and to open. Where do you keep it? In an ivory box between my tongue and my teeth, and within my heart where all my secrets are kept. How long is the chain to the key? As long as from my tongue to my heart. There are strangers present. You will hush now. It's kind of fun to have a little back and forth that basically reminds yeah. you to shut the fuck up. Some sort of like uh, uh, oath he's taken a few times, it sounds like. Uh, and then the story wraps up with the main character of World's End, uh, uh, guessing that maybe everyone at World's End is dead. Yes, and the burial people go, young man, if you were dead, I think I would know it. I have some experience in these matters. And then he goes, well, does anyone have a better explanation? And then one of the people at the table goes, yes, I do. But that's that'll be yeah. told next issue, which we will not go over. <laughs> that's right. I think she might be the person running the World's yes, End. Yes, yes. So the next issue is the last issue that wraps everything up. 
Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. I love that issue. Kevin, thanks for going over it with me. No problem. I love this, the sheer number of stories in this. It reminds me of another issue we did, the Calliope issue, where an evil writer gets his brain flooded with stories and he's like babbling all the ideas out loud as he goes insane. And a number of those ideas sounded like good ideas for stories. Some of them didn't. Some of them sounded so vague or whatever. It didn't have to be good. The point was he was just being overwhelmed with ideas, but some of them did sound good. Because oh, even this one has a couple, three or four caption boxes that are like, well, that could be a whole story. Any of these mini stories could have filled out a whole issue. <laughs> Once again, uh, we're standing by doubling down on his Neil Gaiman is good at writing claim. Yeah, it is confusing. Like a, a lot of, uh, I mean, I, I enjoy the complexity. This of one's confusing to recap for certain. This might have been a hard to listen to episode. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard to read too. Like I, I love it and I love complexity in these Sandman stories, but um, I, the characters are very clear and fun and there's moments that are, and devices that are clear and fun, like the library of the endless. But sometimes the overall plot is so complicated. I can't remember. I have found that to be true when I'm rereading the issues on this visit. Cool ideas in it. And if you don't catch the endless part, that doesn't matter. And if you don't know that this is a reality storm, that doesn't really matter. It's just stories that are being told. It kind of reminds me of certain story in of themselves is pretty interesting. It reminds me of certain movies I'd watch like where it's like about somebody uncovering conspiracy theories in the government or something like the parallax view or mm-hmm. three days of the condor or something. And like, there's always twists and turns where like a person you trusted turned out to be a spy or whatever. And then sometimes when you sit back and you try to like map out, you're like, wait a minute, does it even make sense? Like if this person was a spy, why'd they do this or something? But like while yeah. you're watching it, if it's good, you don't notice that this, the ride is fun. It twists right. when it needs to twist not necessarily because of what that looks like from a bird's eye view of the tail. And uh, Sa- yeah. Sandman is like that experience. Yeah. Uh, a lot of noir detective stories are like that too. It's like, who can you trust? They try to keep you guessing till the end of the story. It's yeah. like, is, is the femme fatale good or evil? Is right. she going to betray the detective or is she not going to betray the detective? Or both weirdly. Like um, and often it is that it's like, well, she'll go wherever she needs to, to survive. <laughs> When I read The Maltese Falcon after watching the movie, because I'm a smarty pants show off, the -hmm. book is basically at the end of every chapter, somebody betrays. And (laughs) it's just sort of like, well, who will betray this chapter? And like, and it almost seems like Dashiell Hammett, the author, made up his reasons after. It's like, well, you know what? This guy was doing this to, you know, and it, it doesn't really matter. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, I think it was at the big sleep where I think the guys making the movie called up, uh, um, uh, uh, Raymond Chandler. Marlo's the character. Rand- Raymond Chandler, yes. Uh, and said, like, 
this ending doesn't make sense. Why did like they some, wanted him some, to something, something wasn't addressed? Like this character mentioned this, and that never gets wrapped up or something. Yeah, and he was like, "Oh, I, I don't know." <laughs> like, he, he couldn't explain it either. Uh, and so the movie had to make some changes to make it make sense to them, yeah. which is very funny. Yeah. Okay, that's uh, uh that's Sarah. Have you seen Brick? Have you seen the movie Brick? No, I've heard it's. I love Ryan Johnson. I should see it. I've heard it's really good. It's basically The Big Sleep, um, oh. but uh, yeah. teenagers like with Juno talk. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah, I think it's really fun. I've enjoyed every Ryan Johnson movie I've seen, so I should see that one. Yeah, you should. All right, I'll do it now. All right. Okay. Uh, so listen to Will for the next <laughs> hour and a half. <laughs> We're gonna record this. Uh, we have some emails, Will. I love it. How would people email us? Um, you if can they email also us, wanted us at screwitspidey at gmail. That's our uh, email address, leftover from our first season. Uh, we also have an Instagram account, screwitcomics, which I implore you to follow. Uh, we really should be doing this in some sort of visual medium, but we're not. We're doing it in an audio medium. But at our Instagram, you can at least see some captured images of the things we're talking about. Um, and we have some other social media stuff too, but those mm-hmm. are the two main ones. Screw it, Spidey at Gmail and screw it comics on Instagram. Uh, we've got five emails today. Well, all right. I'm going to read, uh, 10 of them in a, I'm going to read, read, uh, them in not order received, but, all right. uh, we got an email from Brian Pulverenti. Good. Uh, who lives in New Jersey, just like me. Good for you, Brian. <laughs> uh, dear milk sops. <laughs> I love that's just uh, comes solidly. Yeah, that's just who we are now. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I absolutely love your podcast. Oh, thank you. Sincerely, it brightens up my day every time I see it in my feed. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Brian. Jeez Louise. Um, I know Will's answer to this, but I'm going to read this anyway. Have you guys read Tom King and Jorge Fornes' Rorschach number one? Uh, I have not. I have. Uh, but I thought I, it was I, fantastic. I like Tom King. I know uh, I thought it was fantastic. I know you've talked about him in passing, but what are your guys' thoughts on Tom King's work? I, for one, am a huge fan of everything he does. Does Best Brian from New Jersey. Now, Tom King's the guy who did that Vision series, and he did a Mr. Yes. Miracle series, right? Yes. Okay, I've read right. those. Okay. And I really enjoy him. Um, he reminds me in a weird way of Matt Fraction, not not quite like in his style, but just that he has a real distinct voice, which kind of like, is more dominant than the characters or the story that's going on. Like the dialogue that happens and the things that it's kind of like an emo uh, anxiety ridden take on stuff, which I think is really fun. But I think if I read a lot of Tom King in a row, I would get, I would need a little break to refresh. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And where do you fall on Watchmen characters, new stories about Watchmen characters? I mean, my instinct is don't do it. It's this perfect little, watch that doesn't need to be tampered with but on the other hand i don't think it'll hurt anybody i think like bad stories get forgotten and so if you write a weak little story it'll just be forgotten if you somehow write a good one then good for you Mm -hmm. so i don't know i'm i guess i'm talking out of both sides of my mouth there um i'm gonna say i think it's a fool's errand but i guess if you kick it to the uprights you kick it through the uprights (laughs) all right um, I've read, I think almost everything Tom King has done. Uh, the first thing he did was Omega men that I knew about, which was a cool little mini series, um, set in sort of the cosmic DC universe mm. that I really enjoyed. Uh, the vision that he did for Marvel is probably my favorite thing he did. I think that is just a perfect 12 issue series. Yeah. 
Uh, I think Mr. Miracle is pretty good. Uh, it's beautiful looking. Uh, it felt a little long for what it was, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. He did a series called Sheriff of Babylon that was great, sort of a war story. A guy, I think it was an Afga- set in Afghanistan about soldiers, um, and I thought that was incredible. Hmm. But I've recently gotten, uh, I've cooled on Tom King. I still like him a lot, but um, he's doing an Adam Strange series right now that I just, it looks great, but I just can't get into. Okay. It just feels like issue, and it, a little bit this happened to me, Felt I felt this in Mr. Miracle, uh, but it just feels like issue after issue, I'm like, well, what's what's going on? Yeah. Just tell me. Right. And I feel like I'll get to issue 12 and I'll be like, oh, I guess I kind of know now. Right. Uh, and I'm like, you could have done this in six issues and I still would have, it would be just as good, if not better. I wouldn't have spent so much money on it and spent so much time on it. Uh, so it feels arbitrarily set to 12 issues to me to some extent. Um Adam Strange also bothers me because until it's revealed at the end, I guess I don't know. But I'm like, ah, this doesn't feel like the Adam Strange that I would want it to be. Okay. Uh, it doesn't need to be honest, obviously, but I, I don't love it. He also did a long run on Batman that I didn't love. It felt too violent. Mm-hmm. Um, there were certain issues of this run that were incredibly good. Mm. And then there'd be arcs where I would just be like, ugh, I just don't care about it at all. Mm. And, and so I think that was such a long run. That that really hurt my love of Tom King's stuff. I just read too much Tom King. Um, and if I just had read what you had read, I'd probably still have a very strong feeling for him. That being said, the first issue of Rorschach was great. Ah, did it just come out or something? Uh, it just came out recently, so it's only been one issue. It was really good. I'm not going to say much about it other than like Rorschach's not in it. Uh, okay. It's about somebody who dressed up as Rorschach and committed a crime. And somebody's investigating that crime. Okay. Uh, it might, who knows where it will go from there, but yeah. it, it was good. Jorge Fornes is an amazing artist. I'm hopefully I'm saying his name close to right. Hmm. I didn't look it up beforehand. Um, so it's beautiful. It's, it's well-written. It's very interesting. I was very down on any Watchmen stuff yeah. for a while. It always seems like and a mistake. Think, yeah. It's just like Watchmen was like DC's number one selling book. Even now, is that like, right? why are you trying to get more money out of this? Like, just let it work for you yeah yeah Almore's never gonna be happy so you don't need to make him happy but uh, i'm also like every movie every tv show is based on something or a reboot or or it just feels like no one wants to come up with new ideas it's all old things that have already been established yeah. and yet watchman itself was this like burst of new ideas right uh even though it was based on the charlton characters it was all new it was all well, original you finally yeah. got to it mm-hmm. uh, it was inspired by things yeah. but it was all new so that just it just seems like a shame to like mine this thing for more ideas. But there's been so much Watchmen stuff from DC Comics and HBO that I've I'm just like, well, it's gonna happen. So if you're gonna do it, at least get good creators to do it, and that's what this is. That's a long answer to a simple question. Thank you for like uh, telling us about it. Yeah. Need a bunch of stuff. Do you think? Do you think you could do it? Or would you be hard to please? Like, would you reject issues when they came in? You're like, this is shit. I mean, it would be so tough, right? Because you'd also, you'd have to be worried about making money. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd be good at quality control. And I think I would be pretty good at being like, well, this isn't for me, but I think it works or whatever. Because there's lots of stuff that I'm not into, but I I get that there's six, I get why people like it. I just, I just don't read it myself. I think uh, it would be a tough to say like, like if I ran Marvel Comics being like, and eh, no big crossover this summer so that they really like the next one. 
where like everyone else was being like, yeah, but it will make us a lot of money. Right. I'm like, oh yeah, that is important. Making of Seinfeld. Oh, I didn't know there was one. Uh, it's just, I, I don't know when this was filmed, probably on one of the DVD releases. It's like the start of Seinfeld or something. I, I think it was, I think this was filmed before the show was over, but I can't be certain. Um, and it covers like the first three seasons of the show and it's such an, <laughs> the show was not a hit. Nothing about that show said it should have been made. Right. It was a really funny, it was really funny to watch this, but I watch it. I'm like, it's crazy that like this one guy basically just kept saying like, I think we should make this show. Brandon Tartikoff. I've liked it, but he, he was, he didn't, he didn't put it on the schedule. And this guy was like, I have money for like a two hours, two hours of specials. Let's make four episodes of Seinfeld instead with that money. Oh, interesting. And then they were offered, whoever was producing Seinfeld was offered, we'll either burn this off over the summer after Cheers uh, or like in the fall, or we'll, we'll put it in the, we'll, we'll put it in the fall, like when we, all our new shows launch, but it'll be a much worse slot. And he's like, I yeah, put it after Cheers. <laughs> I'd rather people see it than just uh, put it somewhere else. Right. And then, like, it got picked up for 13 more episodes and it was, like, put on Wednesdays or some other time slot at first before it got moved behind or before Cheers. I don't I forget where it ended up going initially. Maybe after Cheers. And that's where it finally started picking up steam. But even that, like, they were like, don't make the Chinese food restaurant episode, they told them. Uh, Rick Ludwin, uh, is that the guy's name? Yes, I think that's it. Okay. It was Rick something. Okay. Uh, and at some point, like... They turned in the script for the Chinese food restaurant for the second season, which is uh, 22 minutes of waiting for a table. Right. And like, you can't make this episode. <laughs> Your show is barely hanging on. You're going to kill whatever goodwill you have. And they're like, oh, we really like it. And I'm like, okay, well, you can make it if you want. We're telling you it's a bad idea. <laughs> so they made the episode and NBC wouldn't air it till like the second to last episode of the season. <laughs> and then it's like one of the most famous episodes of the show. Yeah. Anyway, things like that. I'm just like, that, that's crazy to me to be like... I. This will work. Give it three years. Yeah. We need that. ER was huge right away. We need another ER. Yeah. We don't need Seinfeld. BJ and the bear knocked people's socks off. Give us another BJ and the bear. Uh, I think that stuff would be really tough. Yeah. I think I'd be perfect at it. (laughs) I didn't expect that answer. show it looks like really well informed and done with a lot of love and mm-hmm. the guy actually met steve ditko and didn't include it which i thought was honorable i mean he mentioned you know he made good with whatever he whatever steve Ditko requested which was don't include me or anything i say yeah uh the interview uh, he i has also with, haven't seen it the interview he has with stan lee is really interesting i also haven't seen it and that's crazy because i love steve ditko yeah. uh and there's no good answer for why i haven't yeah. seen it because i just talked about watching a half hour special on a show that really i didn't need to see <laughs> um so i could watch this easily yeah. but i haven't i have not watched it yet i guess neil gaiman's in it is what he's saying yes that's right i remember that um, so he sent us a link that's queued up to where Neil Gaiman shows up. Well, okay. I might have been territorial. Like we were doing our whole thing on Ditko. I was like, I don't want to watch somebody else's thing on Ditko. But that's dumb because I've, I've heard it's, it seems really good. The first thing I heard about was like him going to the door and talking to him. Right. Yeah. Even though like and that oh, that felt so invasive to me. But he doesn't include that footage, though. Yeah. 
But he, but apparently the the special like helps you figure out where helps a lot of people figure out where he lived, which I guess you can figure out by looking it up. Yeah, anyway, Ditko didn't hide. You know, like I don't but begrudge that. It feels weird to air on TV. Like here's somebody's phone number or apartment building. He listed his number in the phone. I think Ditko was a weirdo who liked that yeah. little game of. I you know I have no way to verify that, but maybe we'll get Jerry Duggan on here someday and he can talk about the letters he exchanged with Steve Ditko, which you can see on Jerry Duggan's Twitter. Um, yeah, get him on. Jerry Duggan, the, um, Deadpool writer, uh, had exchanged yeah. letters with Steve Ditko and they're really interesting. Currently writing the Marauders for the X books at, at Marvel. Nice. Good series. Uh, Justin Bridge emails us. He, uh, talks a lot about new mutants. He yells at me for forgetting karma's name. Hmm. Uh, a few episodes ago. Right. I'm glad you're but getting he, uh, I mean, he's right. It took me too long to remember that name. I mean, she was only in for uh, one issue, right? And then came back for on it later. Uh, he says, uh, yes, uh, uh, boom, Nikki Karma is the first new mutant. She came from, uh, from a Fantastic Four story, no less. Hmm. They kind of never knew what to do with her. She's crazy powerful, but also crazy vulnerable. But then he talks about Sandman. I'm going to cut to that part. Uh, great Sandman stuff. I love the destruction arc. It is probably not surprising that by meeting destruction, Sandman hastens his own. Does destruction actually mention this? Question mark. Uh, as Kevin has pointed out, and this is actually something Will's pointed out, but he gives me credit, which okay. is cool. The endless personalities tend to be the opposite of what they represent. Destruction right. actually has a great deal of affection for his family, but by staying away, they stay alive. By seeking destruction out, Sandman is essentially committing suicide, as we see in the last arc. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And this, of course, has been telegraphed almost from the beginning, right? Once Sandman escapes his prison, his first stop is to meet with his sister, Death. Most of the rest of the run is him writing his previous wrongs or shoring up the dreaming before he goes. Yep. No wonder he's emo. He's living the emo dream. <laughs> and that's true. Um, any comments on any of that stuff? Uh, I hadn't noticed that he began right away preparing for his death, but that is something that is, I could see that. Like, I have no idea if that was actually Neil Gaiman's intention, but that's, you could easily look at it like that. I mean... Sure. I mean, yeah, you could, that might be why he's smiling at the end of that death issue. He's like, oh, and now I know what's going on. I'm dying. I mean, I think what is on purpose is he was supposed to have been cold and distant and now he's been humbled and is becoming warmer and more amenable to like Mm -hmm. fixing old wrongs. I think that's said very clearly, but I guess one could see that's something you do when you're winding down or, you know, on some level you're winding things up. Uh, That reminds me in this issue we just read, uh, Destruction sings a song that he wrote himself, right? Because you say he's always creating stuff. Yep. He's very creative. Yeah. Uh, Stuart Watson emails us. Yeah. Uh, Will always entreats new readers of Sandman to write in, so I thought I'd oblige. I hated it. Uh, I'm a big comics fan who has written before regarding Hulk and casting the JLA as 70s TV detectives Hmm. uh, and has read and have read most of the canon of great comics. As a youth, I always found them too uh, soporific, ironically. Uh, You covering them has forced me to stay up long enough to finish an arc or two. I'm glad to have read the truly great moments, but around halfway through your Sandman coverage, I'm admittingly listening along, but no longer reading the issues as they aren't quite grabbing me. Ah, fascinating. Maybe we picked the wrong ones. Sandman is more geared to panty waists and milk sops when I am more of a poindexter. Uh, Still love the coverage, though. Uh, My question is, which comics of the accepted great comics canon have you either never read or tried to read and can't get into? That's interesting. Um, I mean, I've never been a big Avengers reader or Cap America. I've never really been able to get into that wing of Marvel, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're talking like old school 
like classic comic stuff. Uh, the spirit is something that always looked beautiful to my eyes, but I never loved reading, even though any one panel of the spirit was always beautiful, except for the blatant racist caricatures that are all <laughs> over you. that comic. But like just in terms of like, you know, inks and like rainy New York City and stuff that Doom Patrol, I haven't read a lot of Grant Morrison stuff I haven't been able to to get into. And he's pretty. Oh, no, I've, I've actually I've liked a lot of Grant Morrison. I don't know. Kevin. Uh, I've liked the spirit of stuff I've read, but I think I've only read like the best of the spirit type of stuff. That's yeah. just like great. Yeah. Um, uh, I think we both didn't like Preacher. That's that's a yes. great comic that everyone loves. Yeah. That it, like uh, at least people of a certain age. I met it at the like, wrong time in my life. I think made a lot of people love comic books again. Yeah, which is great. Um, and I'm the only guy alive who doesn't really like Ultimate Spider-Man. When I read that, I sort of just like did it because I felt like I needed to. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't bad, but I didn't love it. And I sort of just worked my way through it all. And people love, love, love that series. Yeah. Uh, but as far as like classic comics, uh, I've never read the Kirby Thor. I've never really tried. I guess I haven't either. Well, a little bit, maybe like 10 issues. Uh, I read one volume of Avengers Essentials, the Kirby uh, era, um, and it was fine. Uh, I don't know if that's considered classic or just first. Yeah. I haven't read the... Jim's not Jim Starlin, uh, Jim Steranko shield stuff. Okay. It's really great looking, but it, it, it just, I couldn't, I never was excited to read the next issue. It was like, well, I should do this. This is something I should have read. Yeah. Kind of what I told myself. Cause he was like one of those artists who kind of came in cause he came in and Stan Lee was still around and Stan Lee like let him be himself. He didn't have to copy Kirby. He wasn't doing Kirby. He was doing Starenko. I mean, Starenko is an insane person in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, but his art was great. Did, so is, that's stuff that is he I the one who about. did the uh, like sex montage where it was like a couple's having sex and he drew all these like innuendos like a gun going into a holster and stuff like that? Uh, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know about that. That sounds maybe like something he would do. Yeah. His S.H.I.E.L.D. stuff was like where S.H.I.E.L.D. went crazy, spy, James Bondy. Like it was already sort of doing that a little bit, but he went, he dialed it up to like 20. Yeah. And I think it might be, he might have like a six page spread where it's like a huge battle sequence that goes across like three spreads or something. Yeah. It's something like that. He's got some crazy things going on. It's it's bonkers and detailed and it, it feels very modern despite being a pretty old comic. Uh, I found the page I'm talking about. I'll send you. It's on Pinterest. I can't look at it without like uh, logging into like six things. Uh, we've got one more email. Uh, uh, I would say the most important email that we got. Okay. Um, this is from uh, Patch. Oh, oh, Patch. Yes. Um, the, and Patch, the tipster, the from. No, no, not the, not the character from Spider Man. No. Okay, I was gonna say maybe we got a bad guy. We got to go catch. No, uh, this is uh, Patch. She, uh, they write in about uh, our handling of the trans character from. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. Um, from uh, Brief Lives, Game of You. Game of You, yeah. Game of You. Uh, I'm a big fan. I've been with you from the beginning, but this is the first time it seemed like I should write in. I wanted to talk about your latest episode, Sandman issue 34. Uh, you asked if anyone with a trans perspective could write in, so here I am. I don't want to sound accusatory, but to be honest, I had some concerns about the treatment of Wanda on your show. Mm -hmm. And Wanda is the trans character from that Mm storyline. That's me. 
Uh, thing is, trans people are who they say they are. That's all there is to it. A fairly recent study discovered that brain structures in trans people match our identities, not our bodies. So we really, truly are who we say we are. Uh, you complimented the handling in this issue, but to be honest, I pretty strongly disagree. Wanda's entire story is that people don't respect her or her identity. The only people who actually agree that she is who she says she is are Barbie and Death. Even you two repeatedly referred to her by her dead name and with the incorrect pronouns, mm. even saying multiple times Wanda's a man. Uh, her family, the people around her, even magic itself denies her identity in the issue, and it hurts. Uh, imagine, if you will, that everyone around you insisted that you aren't who you say you are. You keep telling us that you're willing, Kevin, but everyone in the world insists that you aren't. And not only are you liars, but you're literally evil for insisting on telling the truth about who you are. Right. That's what Wanda's story is. And as a punishment for not being a woman, she dies. She's left behind because Moon and Thessaly won't accept her and dies as a consequence. Uh, whereupon she's further disrespected by the mortician and her family. These are things I and people like me have to deal with every day. People tell me I'm wrong because I'm too tall or because my voice is too deep or because I like comics, which they say girls don't. None of that matters. We are who we say we are just as much as anyone else. I don't believe Gaiman would write this would write like this today. Just last week, he co-signed a letter affirming the identities of transgender and non-binary people. This is all through a modern lens, of course. Weirdly, uh, Wanda's experiences with transphobia and its consequences was the first time I encountered a trans person in media and identifying so strongly with a woman who was serious about being who she was really got me thinking, even if it didn't crack my egg, so to speak. Anyway, that's probably a bit much, but I still wanted to send it. I guess I should apologize. You never asked for a full-on essay. Thanks and keep swinging. Patch. Uh, and I wrote Patch back after this, Will, mm. uh, mostly because uh, I wanted to uh, thank them for emailing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I wanted to clarify that I think, when uh, at least when I said, I think you were the same way, uh, the handling was good. I don't think we meant this was a positive story for Wanda because there's no yeah. question it's not. But just that, like, the anguish and troubles and pains that she feels from her family and everyone around her and being left behind felt it uh, didn't feel glossed over. Yeah. Like the pain and agony and, and of that was uh, very real. Uh, obviously the times uh, that we use the dead name, uh, her dead name or uh, the wrong pronouns uh, or uh, saying Wanda's a man, mm -hmm. th that stuff we should have said differently. That's, there's no question about that. Mm -hmm. um, I tried to be good about that. I probably slipped a few times and I know you had just read the issue where the family. Uh, right, right. The, funer uh, so the funeral sequences. Yeah, so we slipped a bunch there. We shouldn't have. We should have been way better about that. But I, I definitely think, especially for the era, that it was handling the pain of it well. And and, and then I also said to Patch that I think, I, I don't know whether how Neil Gaiman would handle this story now, obviously. Maybe we'll find out when it gets adapted, if it gets adapted into the live action series oh, yeah, he's yeah. working on. Um, but I think there is an interesting story about a fantasy world that has rules that rub up against gender identity. Yeah. I don't think this story was, that was its main point though. Yeah. So I don't think it ever really handled it. And that I think could be a criticism of it for sure. Being like, why are you going, why are you bringing this up if you're not going to really dig into it? Mm. Uh, 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 and then Pat wrote back and uh, 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 I'm not going to get into that. Um uh, uh, right now, I, I'm, I'll, I'll write Patch back afterwards. But uh, Patch was definitely not mad at us and just sort of mm. being like, hey, you asked for my opinion. Here it is. Yeah. Um, and I'm grateful uh, for uh, them sending it to us. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. It's, uh, you know, 
I don't have a perspective from personal experience to know what it would feel like. So it's uh, illuminating and interesting to, to hear somebody. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. It must be very hard to read a story, even if it's well told. I mean, a story about a trans person dying could, and I think Pat even says that sort of as a trope, right? Of, Oh no, in the response refers to as a trope of killing your gays. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, it's the same thing as like killing women in stories to motivate men, killing yeah. trans people to motivate, uh, straight people, uh, uh, could be seen as the same way. And there, there is something awful about that. That's often the storylines. Um, and it, it must be, it must be weird. Cause like there's so little representation that if there's a trans character and it dies yeah. in a horrible way, you're like, Oh, this is awful. But like, if I'm watching a story and a white man dies, I'm like, oh, who cares? <laughs> but there's also like 30 more of them in that right, same right, story. Right. Right. Um, right. You don't think of it as the white character. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, it doesn't affect me at all. I'm not like, oh, I can't believe they're doing that to this man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's something definitely I don't think about. I have the luxury of it not uh, bubbling up when I'm watching something, uh, and it's hard to it's hard to get yourself in that mindset of being like, oh yeah, this maybe is handled well in a horrible fashion, but doesn't need to be told that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for, for writing in. Um, yeah, that's, I feel like I got to say my piece in our hour long examination of the episode. So <laughs> I won't, I won't keep going. I, um, well, no, I'm, I'm going to say something. I, I would be yeah. still curious to know from anybody. I mean, don't feel like you, anybody has to write in from Patch or anyone like, does that mean that you to the point where you dislike Sandman stories? Um, or is it more like a blind spot or something? To, it's hard. See, this is hard for me to separate. When I was when I was reading Sandman originally, it was like such an eye-opening experience in so many ways. And it was because it tackled so many difficult topics so um, co- with such comfort and confidence that it like made these things approachable in a way. Um, I felt the same way about love and rockets comics, which are way, are way more likely to be like problematic, I think, but, um, or more outrageous, I guess is what I should say. Love and rockets comics could be way more out, more cartoony. So, um, I wonder if there's just risks, there's just like, if it's just like impossible to get it quote unquote right. And that's just the yeah, collateral I mean, damage of like being bold. I don't know. Uh, it seems like Patch like loves the Sandman comics uh, and, and uh, even said that this was the first trans character they'd seen. But either in viewing back on it or just the idea that this is a well-handled story yeah. uh, rubbed them the wrong way yeah, in a yeah. sense that like, I think you could love Sandman and be like, well, I don't like this arc. Right, right. Uh, uh, Like a stupid version of that for me is like uh, you recommended a podcast to me about um, children being taken. Uh, And I listened to the first episode. I was like, I don't think I can listen to this. It was was just so hard to listen to. I was like, it was a really well done. I mean, it affected me tremendously. So it was very well done. But I was like, I'm not in a place to listen to this. Right, right. Uh, I need to go find my son uh, and hug him. Uh, he's next to me probably. No, uh, yeah. I'm not listening to a podcast about children being taken with him in the room, but <laughs> you know, like, so that stuff, sometimes it's just like, this is good, but I can't, yeah. I can't do it. 
um, because of uh, my circumstances. And so, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean the people making it. I'd be like, oh, those people make bad podcasts. Yeah. But I would be like, they're not. That's not for me. Right, right. That season. Um, Yeah. Well, thank you for writing in. That was uh, interesting. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time and and, uh, speaking to that. Uh, We make those requests. We don't always get people to write in when we ask for those viewpoints. So it's really great to hear. Um, and on that heavy note, Will, mm. we're, we're good. Done. All right. So we'll be here next uh, episode with the Kindly issue Ones, 69. issue 69, yeah. yeah, which is the last chapter of the Kindly Ones. And then we'll do one more in the wake, and that's probably where that's, we'll end our that's season. That's probably it, yeah. All right. All right. So, um, Kevin, good job podcasting. And um, audience, we'll see you guys next episode. Yeah. Unless this is just a podcast within a podcast. Within a story at World's End. About two guys who podcast? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. You'll, you'll find out when this ends, if this continues. Bye, everybody. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.